0: You are listening to the CMC podcast. Join us each week for messages designed to equip, inspire, and motivate. And now for today's message from Pastor Paul Kern. Well, we're we're gonna get into our series again that we are in, Discipleship 101, and we are in part three. Part three. So if you want to open your Bibles to Genesis chapter two, that is where we're gonna begin. We got some really um, interesting topics that we're going to be talking about tonight. Some things that really help give clarity to a lot of things in the Bible that maybe you weren't really that clear on. So we're going to talk about several different areas. We're going to talk about the consequences of sin. We're going to talk about the word atonement and what that actually means. We're going to talk about blood sacrifice and why that was necessary. And then we're also going to talk about what life looked like under the old covenant, under the law. So we've got several topics that we're going to cover, and if you didn't get to hear the last lesson, you can go back. We talked about uh, creation and sin and man and the devil. You know, we covered a lot of really uh, good basic information in that also, so these kind of just merge together. So in Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 through 17, it says, Then the Lord God took man and put him in the Garden of Eden to tend and keep it, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Every tree in the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you will surely, what? Help me. Die. So, you know, I think most all of us got this part down, you know, that's kind of a a prevalent understanding, you know, Adam and Eve ate an apple and they died. We don't really know what fruit it was. But we do know that the tree of knowledge of good and evil in the garden of Eden represented a choice. A choice. So every time that Adam and Eve here it is in the middle of the garden, the very center of the garden, and every time that Adam and Eve would walk by that tree, they chose God. Every time they walked by it and they didn't touch it, every time they walked by it and they didn't take a fruit off of it, they were choosing God. They were putting God over Themselves putting God over their selfish desires. So that was the whole point of the tree. Now, we know that there were many other trees in the garden. You know, no telling how many hundreds of different types of trees were in the garden. There's over 2,000-some fruit-bearing trees that I'm aware of, and so there's probably lots of trees there. And, of course, we know the tree of life was in the garden, but God instructed them, don't eat of this one tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, because the day that you eat of that tree, you will surely... Die. So the Bible clearly explains that the pathway of sin leads to death. Adam and Eve chose to sin against God, and that led them down the pathway to death. And we know that the penalty of sin is death, or the consequences of sin is death. Now, that death that was incurred was both spiritual and physical, Because we can read and we know that God said, and you just go through, read on through chapter 3. Now, we don't have time to, you know, go through all of this together thoroughly because we've got, you know, 30 minutes to encapsulate a few things here. But we do know that, that God said, hey, we've got to get man out of the garden. When Adam and Eve ate of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, says, we need to get them out lest they eat of the tree of life and live forever in this state, this condition. So we know that the tree of life was there, the tree of life represented Christ, the tree of knowledge and good and evil really kind of represents the law, and it represents a choice. Adam and Eve ate of that fruit, and we know that at that moment they did not die physically, not instantly, but they were created to live forever, that's the plan, right? That's what's ultimately where we're all heading, is through eternity, living forever with God. And so they were created to live forever, but when they partook of that tree, it brought about a spiritual death in their life, and ultimately that led to a physical death, because we know Adam and Eve obviously both died. Now, when they partook of the tree of knowledge and good and evil, God had to remove them from the garden, okay, for a couple of reasons. Number one, God is holy, and Adam and Eve were no longer holy. And an unholy man cannot be in the presence of a holy God. So God had to remove them from the garden. But also we know that God said, hey, we don't want them partaking of the tree of life. So God removed them and he set angels at the entrance and they guarded the way into the garden. So Adam and Eve were banned. They were never allowed to come back into the garden. The place that God had originally designed for them to take dominion and subdue and multiply in, they were removed. Now, when you are removed from God's presence, and we talked about this a little bit last time, we talked about what is sin? Well, a lot of people in their mind, they think, well, sin is, you know, drinking or dipping or drugging or fornicating, whatever. That's not sin, that's sins. Those are individual infractions against God's law. Sin, what we're looking at is this moral breakdown that man had when he exalted himself above God, when he put his needs above God's desires and God's heart. And so that sin brought this failure in man's life, what we call the fall of man. And we talked about this a little bit in our last one. So man was separated from God. So when we say, what is sin? Well, sin is separation from God. And when you are separated from God, you're separated from life because God is life, right? There is no, it, he who has the Son has what? Life. He who does not have the Son does not have life. And so they were separated from God, so therefore they did not have life. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So sin's not a part of the nature of God. God cannot sin. God has no desire to sin. There is no darkness in God whatsoever. There is no shadow in God. There is, no, there is nothing corrupt about God's nature. God is perfect holiness, pureness, divine love. That's what God is. Now, <clears throat> we see that sin separated them. And the penalty for sin is death. Yet, we recognize that Adam and Eve... I mean, God didn't strike Adam and Eve dead the moment that they partook of the tree of knowledge and good and evil. They didn't immediately die. Why? Well, because God, number one, didn't create man to kill him or to punish him. That was not God's goal in creating man. Obviously, the ultimate goal was, that, talked about Adam walking with God in the, in the cool of the day. How, how cool would that be? No pun intended. I mean, you know, just walking with God. And talking with God in the cool of the day, that would be awesome. And that was God's original plan for man. Now, <clears throat> we don't have time to go through all this, but, but hell and all of that was created before this point all happened, okay? Hell was created for Lucifer, and it was created for the third of heaven that rebelled against God. That's what hell was created for. Hell was never created for man That was a place of punishment for the rebellious demons who cannot be forgiven and cannot repent of their sins because they've been in the very presence of God. And so Adam and Eve, they didn't die immediately because that was not God's heart. And God actually made a way for Adam and Eve to live. Now, we know when Adam and Eve sinned that they all of a sudden this shame came over them, right? And for the first time, Adam and Eve like went, oh, (laughs) we're in a birthday suit. Uh, you know, get something. And so the Bible says they got some fig leaves and they somehow folded them together and and covered up their nakedness with them. And God's in the garden, he's walking around and where are you at? And they're hiding and why are you hiding? Well, we're naked. Well, who told you that? Well, you know, all of this comes out. Obviously God already knew, but he was getting Adam and Eve to recognize all that had happened and all that they had done. <clears throat> so they, they clothe themselves with, with fig leaves, and, and we know that as we read down a little bit further, if you look at Genesis chapter three, verse 21, you'll see where God did something very unusual. God said, "Fig leaves won't work." Now if it was just a matter of covering up nakedness, would fig leaves work? Sure. They would work. But it wasn't just a matter of covering up nakedness. It wasn't just a matter of this one mistake that Adam and Eve made. They made a much bigger mistake. They introduced sin into the world. They brought about the fall of man. They brought about the the consequences of sin and the condemnation of all people. And so here is God in Genesis 321, and it says, "'Also for Adam and his wife the Lord God made tunics of skin,' and clothe them. Now, I want you to think about that for a minute. God made tunics of skin. Skin from what? Skin from an animal. So here are Adam and Eve. They're in the garden. <clears throat> God brings out an animal of some kind. Now, it had to be a fairly good-sized animal. You know, it couldn't be a squirrel. That's not going to work, right? So it had to be a large animal. I don't know how large. I mean, I don't know if it was a bear, possibly. I'm not sure. But God brings out this large animal. And here we have Adam and Eve who have never seen death, ever. God takes that animal, and he kills that animal in front of them. And God skins that animal in front of them. And that animal's blood pours out on the ground at the feet of Adam and Eve. And can you just imagine in that moment, church, what Adam and Eve, the the light that must have come on in their mind when that bear or whatever that animal was was put to death and that animal died because of what they did. And then God clothed them with the bloody skins of that animal to cover over their nakedness. And for the first time, we see in the Bible what we call substitutionary sacrifice or a substitutionary death. Now, we know that God said the day that you eat from the tree of knowledge and good and evil, you'll do what? You'll die. Something had to die because that's what God said. If you eat of this, you're going to die something's got to die. So what God did is God said, I'm going to take an animal who has no sin, who didn't owe the debt of death that Adam and Eve now owed. And so he took that animal and he made that animal a substitutionary sacrifice for Adam and Eve. And he clothed Adam and Eve in this animal. As a matter of fact, if you look in Leviticus chapter 17, We'll see why God did this. Now, what was the penalty of sin again? Help me. <clears throat> All right, death. But God is a God of life, but they owed a debt of death. So Leviticus seventeen eleven says, for the life of the flesh is in the, help me, blood. And I've given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. Here's that word atonement. For it is the blood that makes atonement for the soul. And I'm gonna say it again. The life of all flesh is in the blood. You drain all the blood out of your body, you're dead. It's over. That's what keeps you alive. Okay? So we recognize that the only thing that can make payment or atonement for the sin of Adam and Eve was. Blood, not fig leaves, not fig leaves. Fig leaves won't work. Blood is the only thing that will work because the life of all flesh is in the blood. And he goes on to say, I have given it to you upon the altar to make atonement for your souls. So that is that substitutionary sacrifice that God made. So, so that's so God's, God's already making a way for man, and God's already preparing the way for the Lamb of God, Jesus, who is ultimately going to come and be that substitutionary sacrifice. See, God's already, at the beginning of time, teaching man and preparing man and showing man how it works. Now, the word atonement literally means to cover. That's what that word means, to cover, to cover over. So he said, I have given you the blood to make atonement for your sins. Now, when we're looking back in John, and we're reading about John talking about the coming of the Messiah, and he says, behold, the Lamb of God, who what? Takes away the sins of the world. He didn't say makes atonement for the sins of the world. He said takes away the the sins of the world. there's a big difference between taking away and atonement. Atonement is to cover over. It's like, once again, it would be like Adam and Eve covering up their nakedness with animal skins. But they're still naked. They're just covered over. Didn't change the fact that they were naked. Didn't change the fact that they still owed a debt of death. It just covered over. Let me explain it to you this way. Um, How many of you are making car payments. Isn't it wonderful? <laughs> no, it's not. I don't like it. So when you buy a car, let's say that um, you go and you buy a car for 20000 uh, $20,000, $20, you get a car, you got a nice car, $20,000. And so what do they do for you when you buy the car? They set up payments for you, right? Because the fact is, you may not have the whole $20,000 for the car. So they're going to set up payments for you to pay off the car. And so they set your payments, let's just say they set your payments at $300 a month, okay? So every month, you make a $300 payment on that car, you have satisfied for that month what is owed you've made atonement that month for what you owe. Now you still owe 20,000 or you know 19,000 and some change, but you made an, a payment of $300. So as we look at what God did with this animal, this substitutionary sacrifice, what God did was is he made an atonement for the sins of Adam and Eve, but it did not wash away or take away the sins of Adam and Eve. Now, go to Hebrews chapter 10, and we're going to explain why. We're going to look at this so that we can understand why. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of things, can never—everybody say never— with these same sacrifices, which they offer continually year after year, make those who approach perfect. For then they would not have ceased to be offered. For the worshipers, once purified, would have no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin every year. When you make your car payment, guess what it is? It's a reminder every month. Ugh, I owe money. I'm not free of this what? Debt. I owe this debt. So every time that they would go to the altar, when the priests would go to the altar, when the families, the Israelites would go to the altar and they would kill an animal to to cover, make atonement for their sins, all it did was remind them of how sinful they really were and that they were still under the debt of death and they still owed for their sin. Just like the scripture says. For it, is in, for it is not possible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Christ's death fulfills God's will. It goes on to say, therefore, when he came into the world, he said, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me and burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure And then I said, Behold, I have come to do your will. In the volume of the book, it is written to me to do your will, O God. Let's go on. Previously saying, Sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings, and offerings for sins you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. So Adam and Eve sinned, right? Adam and Eve owed the debt of death, correct? So man sinned, man owed the debt of death, and the only one that could get man out of this predicament is man let me explain to you why. <clears throat> so if man sinned, who owed the debt? Not an animal. So an animal could not ultimately take away the debt that man owed because, man, because animals did not commit the original sin. Man did. Man's the only one that can pay it. But man can't pay it because man owes it. So we have a real problem. So God, God can't pay it because God's not man. Man has to pay it. Now, God's the only one who is sinless and capable of paying it. But God can't pay it because God didn't do it. Man did it. Man has to pay it. So what God did was God became a man, a perfect, sinless man, and he paid the debt that only man could pay. Isn't that awesome? Now, I'll tell you something really cool, and this is a side note, and I really don't have time for this because it wasn't in my notes, but it is really, really cool. So when a woman gets pregnant and the baby is in the womb, where does all of the nutrients and, and, and stuff come from? Where does it come from? A little cord. A little umbilical cord, right? Golly, Donnie, take y'all back to sex education class. It comes from the umbilical cord. <clears throat> so all the nutrients and everything that the baby needs comes through that cord. But here's something really cool. Do you know that no blood passes from the mother to the baby? None. The only thing that flows through the cord is nutrients. The blood is formed within the cells from the sperm and the egg. So you hear people say, well, how could a sinful woman like Mary have a sinless son like Jesus? That's because no blood passed from Mary to Jesus. See, God, when he set it all up, he knew what he was doing because he's a genius, brilliant God. And he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to provide nutrients, but the blood is going to be formed within the cell wall. So God took his divine, perfect seed and he fertilized that human egg and we got 100% human and 100% God sinless. No sin nature. So Jesus was able to come as a sinless person and pay the debt that only man could pay But man couldn't pay it because man wasn't sinless. So God became a man, and God paid the debt. Come on, let's give God a hand clap for that. Wow. Isn't that great? So go to Genesis chapter 4. Let's look at this. Genesis chapter 4. I think you'll remember this story. Genesis 4, verse 1. Now, Adam knew his wife, and that's a nice way of saying, you know, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now, Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of, of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain in his offering. And Cain was very angry and his countenance fell. Now, it wasn't like God liked Abel more than he liked Cain. And so that's why he accepted Abel's offering, and he didn't accept Cain's offering. Now, you you have to know, church, that, you know, Adam and Eve, they understood sacrifice. They understood the requirement for sacrifice. They were there when it happened. You can rest assured that they understood that. Clearly, they understood it, and they taught it because Abel brought it. It says, Abel brought from the first, he brought the, his best. And even, and even a fat offering, and, and, you know, I don't know if y'all know this, but in the Bible, fat always represents glory. Now, some of you might be saying, I got a lot of glory, I'm telling you right now. Just overflowing with it. But, but I mean, that's what, that's what fat represented, is glory. Because fat represents excess, right? Some of you are like, yes, I got some of that. So Cain brought just some fruit, some produce, some vegetables. Here, God, here you go. Abel, on the other hand, he brought a proper sacrifice, which was blood. Because surely, if you're going to bring the first of your offspring and it's fat, then you clearly killed it. And you cut it up and you brought it to the Lord as a sacrifice. And God accepted that. Now, as we look at Adam and Eve, what did I say that they tried to cover themselves with? Fig leaves. What did Cain bring to God? Vegetables. He brought, he brought what he produced with his own hands. So as we look at this, as we look at Adam and Eve trying to cover with fig leaves and Cain bringing it from from his own efforts, from what he grew, that represents good works. And there's no amount of good works. You can't go to church enough. You can't tithe enough. You can't pray enough. You can't do good enough to enter into heaven. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that the very best, on our very best day— Our most righteous acts are like filthy rags to God. So there's clearly no hope for any of us to go to heaven. None of us can make it into heaven. There's only one person that's worthy of heaven, and that's Jesus Christ. He's the only perfect sinless man. So when we accept what Jesus did for us, his substitutionary death, he died in our place, and we receive that gift and we're clothed in Christ, then when we, and that's why Colossians says we're hidden in Christ, when we stand before God and God sees us, guess who he sees? Jesus. And I'm just telling you, when you stand before the Lord and you get ready to enter into heaven, you better see Jesus or you're not getting in. Because Jesus is the only one who is worthy of heaven. So it's not about that you don't drink or you don't smoke or you don't dip or you don't sleep around. It has nothing to do with that. It has everything to do with, did you accept the sacrifice that Jesus made, the payment for your sins, so that your sins can be washed away, washed away, completely washed away. God remembers them no more. Come on, washed away. There's no better news than that. And so our sins have been washed away. And so when he brought that sacrifice, he was basically saying, "My, my good works, what I produced is enough. And God was saying, it'll never be enough because it's not about that. It's about The blood. It's about the payment for the penalty of sin. As a matter of fact, go to Matthew 22, and Jesus kind of gives us a little different approach to this, a little different story, which is really pretty neat. Matthew 22 Jesus is telling a parable about a wedding. It says, And Jesus answered and spoke to them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who arranged a marriage for his son. So the king is is God, the son is Jesus. And he sent out his servants to call those who were invited to the wedding. That's us. And they were not willing to come. Again, he sent out servants saying, Tell those who are invited, see, I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and fatted cattle are killed, and everything's ready. Come to the wedding. But they made light of it and went their ways. One to his own farm, another to a business. I got time for that. I don't got time for religion. I don't have time for all that. I'm living my life. But when the king heard about it, he was furious. And he sent out armies and destroyed the murderers, burned up their their city, because they seized his servants, right, treated them spitefully, killed them. So he sent them out, and he, he said, The wedding is ready, but those who were invited are not worthy. Therefore, go into the highways. And as many as you find, invite to the wedding. So those servants went out to the highways and gathered together all who they found, both good and bad. And the wedding hall was filled with guests. Wow, good and bad people were in the wedding. Isn't that amazing? Good and bad. That excites me because I'm not the good, I'm the bad. But when the king came in to see the guest, he saw a man there who did not have on wedding garments. So he said to him, friend, how did you come in here without a wedding garment? And he was speechless. And the king said to his servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth for many are called, but few are chosen. Many are called, but few choose to have that sacrificial covering that robe of righteousness that wedding garment put on them that will cover up that will I mean wash away their sins that's what Jesus did for us that's what that wedding garment represents so Jesus is telling this really interesting story here to show us what it looks like what it I, I'm not perfect I still miss the mark. I, I try to live a godly life. And the Bible clearly says that what, that's what we ought to do. We ought to walk by the Spirit and bear the fruit of the Spirit. But we all miss the mark from time to time. Thank God that good and bad get invited. And as long as you have on the wedding garment, guess what? You get to be a part of the wedding. You get to be a part of the feast. Because it's all about what Jesus did. So man was separated from God when all of this happened. And hundreds and hundreds of years passed. And just a, just a brief historical timeline, okay? So we have creation. You know about the flood. Tower of Babel, and that's where the nations were separated. Then we have Abraham, and then we have Isaac, and then we have Jacob, I mean Joseph and Jacob. And then the family enters into Egypt. You know, Joseph is like in charge, and Jacob and his family come in, and they begin to live there, and different rulers change hands, and ultimately the Israelite people, they went into 70, but they begin to multiply into the thousands and thousands and thousands. The Egyptians got nervous, and they made them slaves. And that turned into 400 years of slavery, and millions of people later, they were let out by this incredible exodus under the leadership of Moses. And they went out into the wilderness, and now they're in the wilderness, and they're at Mount Sinai, they're there in the mountain. And God calls Moses up, and what does God give Moses? The law. The Ten Commandments. He gives Moses the law for his people to live by. Now all of God's people connect with God through the law. Not through relationship like it was originally intended in the garden when Adam walked with God in the cool of the day. Now man is under the law. And God begins to teach them what a holy, righteous God looks like and what a holy, righteous God requires. Now, at this point, with Israel everything depends on their obedience. Everything. Life, victory, provision, blessings, everything depends upon their obedience. As a matter of fact, in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12, we really see the inflexibility of the law. There's no grace with the law. There's no You know, the law is rigid, it's firm, it doesn't give. Thou shalt not this, and thou shalt not that, and you can't do this, and you can't do that, and you better do this, and you better not do that. There's no grace with the law. So in Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 12, it says, And now Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God and to walk in his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep The commandments of the Lord, your God and his statutes, which I command you today for your good. And they had to keep them all. The only problem is they couldn't keep one of them, (laughs) not one of them. And we can just look at the Ten Commandments. Well, Paul, I've never murdered anybody, never. Well, have you ever had anger in your heart towards someone? Because Jesus said that's the same as murder. Whoops. You ever stole something? Yeah, I've done that. I remember when I was a kid, I was with my mom in Kroger's, stole some gum. I don't know how she found out. I guess it's because I was smacking on Where'd you get that? Found it, <laughs> right, wrong. Boy, I had to go back in and face the store manager the whole nine yards. It was, you know, if more parents did that today, it'd be helpful. I tell you, I learned a big lesson that day. Well, honor your father and mother. No, hadn't done that one. Not not consistently. Not all the time. <clears throat> Keep the Sabbath holy. Uh no, hadn't hadn't always done that. I, I I've missed one or two. See, the law. If the law, if you broke one, you're a lawbreaker. Breaking one's breaking the whole thing. And when you break the law, you come under a curse. So everything with the children of Israel at this point, all the connecting that they did with God was through the regulations of the law, and that's why they said, Moses, you know, you go up and talk to God for us. We don't want to go anywhere near that mountain. That place is scary. It's dark and cloudy, and lightning's coming off of it. And if anybody touches it, they die. That was how they knew God. That's what. That's what this terrible fall from Adam and Eve produced. So was that God's original plan? No. That clearly wasn't God's original plan, and that's why Jesus is coming to restore the paradise that God originally created. Jesus is coming to make all things new. Jesus is coming to make all things right again so that the lion and the lamb lay down together and we fellowship with God and and we come in and we eat with him and we know him and it's intimate that's what Jesus makes possible. So God's now beginning this process of beginning to teach man what he looks like, what his expectations are, what he wants of man, and ultimately over thousands of years of history all through The first five books of the Bible and all through the writings, all through the major minor prophets, God is, is revealing different aspects of himself little by little by little until ultimately when Jesus arrives 4 BC, somewhere right around there, and he comes in the fullness of time to reveal what the Father really looks like. And up to this point, because they had been living for thousands of years under the regulations of the law, that's why Jesus had such a hard time with the Pharisees and the Sadducees is because that's all they knew was the law. And so Jesus starts coming and says, I'm the fulfillment of that law. Well, that's blasphemy. No, it's just the fulfillment. I'm opening up another piece of the puzzle. I'm I'm the ultimate piece. I'm the final piece to reveal and, and lay everything into place, and now you can clearly see what God looks like. So does that mean that the law is bad? No. As a matter of fact, that was the conversation that Paul had all through Romans, and if you haven't read it, it's a really great book to read. So, so good. But in Romans 7, 7, it says, Well, then, am I suggesting that the law of God is sinful? Of course not. In fact... It was the law that showed me my sin. I would have never known that coveting is wrong if, in fact, the law had not said you must not co- covet. But if the law could have made us right with God, then just keeping trying to keep the commandments of the law would have been enough. That would have been all that we needed. <clears throat> but God never would have released His Son to come into the world and pay the penalty for our sins if the law would have been enough. The law is clearly not enough. So it's 8.04. I mean, time went just like that. We just blew through it. And I tried to give you a little bit of understanding, a little bit more of understanding of our foundation of faith. You know, we can kind of understand the plan of salvation a little bit better than we, we could before. And so we're just trying to equip our church to understand the Bible. Amen? Y'all stand with me. Let's give God a hand clap. Come on. He's worthy. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. Go before us this week. God, open doors of opportunity for us to shine our light and to be a blessing to other people. In Jesus' name, amen. You've been listening to the CMC podcast. For more information about CMC, our different conferences, Christian school, college internship, resources, and more, go to cmchurch.com.